Welcome to That's My Niche. This podcast is on the hunt for professions across all disciplines to get a glimpse into the world's mindsets and passions of successful people. I'm your host, Nina Dorfer. Sit back and enjoy listening with me. we're live <laughs> well <laughs> quasi live <laughs> oh my god well welcome so much to this conversation I'm so excited to be honest I'm like fangirling hard <laughs> I'm very happy to be here it's uh, it's very nice yeah because um I did see you live um at the you had a talk at the Salona del Mobile I think it was in 2019 yeah 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 2019 that was yeah so I totally got there by accident um because I just tagged along with like some other people and they were like yeah there's this like talk and then I realized which talk it was and I was like oh my god <laughs> this is so cool to get a bit uh to get to pro to know the project more and to hear you uh, explain uh, the knit candela and everything it's um Great, great, great. So thank you so much for thank you. coming on. So Mariana, um, for everybody who does not know what you're doing, um, what is your niche, your profession, your specialty? Okay. Um, so I'm an architect. Um, I'd say I'm a confused architect, I guess, because <laughs> um, I don't think I'm a confused architect, but maybe a little bit. Um, so I'm, um, uh, I was trained as an architect. I'm a computational designer um, with, um, well, a computational structural designer, I would say, um, with a strong interest in fabrication mm -hmm. and how we can use uh, computers and make that um, um, link between how we design and how we fabricate and how we bring things into, uh, into the world for architecture and structures. Um, and, um, of course that always, and that's even more relevant now, but, um, that's always a little bit under the umbrella of sustainability. So most of the projects that I've been involved in also, um, when I was still studying, did have a strong sustainability component somehow, um, in different, uh, in different degrees. Um, I say I'm a confused architect because I started out, um, with an architect in, in architecture, And um, now I'm in civil engineering. So uh, <laughs> uh, architects go, mm, you're not an architect. And civil engineers mm -hmm. go, mm, you're not a civil engineer. So I'm kind of this, um, this little thing in between um, the two. I guess you created your own little profession, no? I don't know if... It I created my own little profession. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far um, because um, it it does exist. Um, it's also um, something that um, happens a little bit. So it started a little bit throughout the education. So when you start getting computational tools and thinking a little bit more structurally about things, um, so there is always that dialogue between architectures and structures. Um, in terms of the digital fabrication part of things or in, in that, 
um, there's a strong push in the community, I would say, um, mm -hmm. go this way. Um, and there are, um, I was lucky enough to go to ETH to be part of the NCCR digital fabrication. So I'd say that that kind of program creating created this type of uh, profession. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I created it. <laughs> uh, it's some something that's that's been, uh, but I did fit into it, let's say. And then we all create ourselves within that. Yes, because we're kind of in between, um, in between um, a multidisciplinary place. So um, there are, um, the, the premise of it is to work together, to work at the intersection of different disciplines. And of course, that's a little bit different than, than before, but I didn't create that working at the intersection of different disciplines. I just found in my intersection, <laughs> let's say. Well, from my point of view, it's interesting that you say, oh, there is a strong push in the community because me, I'm like from the outside, you know, like just catching a glimpse, but you're in, like you're in it. So this is also why I wanted to um, talk a bit, like to hear your point of view, um, what is going on? What are the, like, what is going on in architecture um, because I feel like there is not a lot of, um, um, I would say more like commercial articles on the web. I feel like it's, uh, yeah, as you say, very like in your community, I guess there is, a uh, lots of projects going on, but we like on the outside, we don't hear so much of it besides your project, because it got a lot of attention it was very well marketed i would say so what are um like when you did the project what was the um like who pushed it or who came up with it how did it come about and then also what is why was it so novel mm -hmm. so um I think I have to unpack the question because there are a few <laughs> there are a few yeah. layers to the onion. Yeah. Uh, when I say the the community um, and the strong push, I, I I do mean it, but then but then again, I'm in my own little bubble, right? <laughs> so this mm -hmm. is the so that so that's uh, that's part of it. Um, the um, there are two layers to it. One of it being the computational, the digital, the um, the the fabrication part of things, and mm -hmm. one being the knitting. So I think that those two that, that those two might be different, uh, not might be are different. One is an expression of the other, let's say. So uh, when I said that there's a big push from the community, I would say that there's a big push from the community towards digital technologies mm -hmm. and towards making that transition. Um, and indeed, um, there aren't um, as many projects necessarily out there but there there is quite a lot right there's a there for the past 20 something years at least there has been um mm -hmm. quite a little bit of this uh, more than 20 years but i mean <laughs> just in terms of um so so that's on the on on the one side i do think construct the construction industry is very slow to change and it's a little mm -hmm. bit of a dinosaur so that's why we don't see um a lot of these things but it's coming up because it's being pushed towards okay it needs to change mm -hmm. um and we need to make a change and be also more sustainable and then there's the uh, the knitting part of things so mm -hmm. on the side no um i i don't think that there was a lot um, and there still isn't a lot, but there's a lot more. I would mm -hmm. uh, I would say, 
Um, and um, there are uh, mainly things in the academic world, I would say, um, with that. There are also, uh, of course, uh, companies working with it. So working with um, textile architectures, but in a more traditional way. So not necessarily in how do we use it for casting concrete or how do we use knitting for casting concrete or things like this. Um, but there is a, a long tradition of using textiles in architecture, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it's from the from the things that... It, it, from facades to interiors, sure, but um, to the ones that we maybe not don't perceive as textile architectures, but you have the, the tents, the the um, the um, kind of flexible tent-like um, 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 architectures out there. So there, there's quite a lot. You can you have a lot of it in stadiums as well, in large structures. So these kind of large mm-hmm. spans, but they're usually not used as um, structures on their own or for concrete, but more mm. um, um, more as um, as a cover or a or a shelter in that sense. Um, so that was it. And then the second now I I forget the rest of the question because I took a took a deep <laughs> kind of clarify this. But then there was about the project, um, and um, so to put it in context. I was doing my PhD with the Block Research Group, right, and and the NCCR in the NCCR Digital Fabrication, and a, a big part of this is, of course, that you have to to contribute something new, but that we want to do that also through demonstrators, so to show it um, in in tangible forms, because that's how you prove things. So the Nit Candela somehow is the final demonstrator of my PhD. Mm-hmm. That, um, it it came out of that, but. Um, it also where where the push came from is a little bit. I, I would say okay, uh, Philip and and Shaje uh, from from Zaha Code, um, we're having we're having a little bit of a chat on on trying to do something together um, for uh, in Mexico then, and then it it turned out with this. Hey, Mariana, can you can can we do a pavilion by September? And it was May, something of the of the sort. And oh, wow! We gotten and we had just gotten a, a brand new knitting machine. Um, at, uh, at at the faculty, so um, I had been working on on the research. It became convincing. Um, they purchased the knitting, the industrial knitting machine, so that we could take it a step further. Um, and there was a lot of excitement around that. So that this this machine had just arrived. It was May. It was great, and it was like, okay, can we do something with it? Can we do this by uh, by then? And I don't know. I was a little bit crazy, and I said, "Yeah, sure, of course. Why not? <laughs> yes, we can do it." <laughs> um, and I guess uh, in that moment, I didn't really. Um, well, I, we knew it, but it's um, it is something that came out of a few, a couple of years of research and and working on it. So yes, it was crazy to do it in a few months, but it was also based on quite a little bit of that. So there's, um, I would say that. That's the push, um, and this connection with uh, with um, Zaha Code and, and Shaje. Then, so you were. It was a, also a matter of timing and being yeah. at the right place at the right time, yeah. kind I of coming say. to fruition. Yeah. Um, so you explained a bit what are the the roles of textiles in architecture um, at the moment. And how are the knit structures and the knit textile properties now adding value or more value to projects like this? 
Well, um, I'm fascinated by it. So I'm like, oh, yes, you can do everything with textiles, almost everything. Um, what's really nice about them is that they're um, very, um, very good for uh, being customized. Um, mm -hmm. So you can really um, have functional grading or tailored material properties um, in a more um, detailed way than you would have with, uh, with other technologies. So there is a lot of opportunity in that, in being able to use that, that kind of um, working at a very minute level. So this loop, uh, knitted textiles are made out of loops and, and um, um, depending on your configuration, it doesn't matter, but they're in the order of millimeters, right? So you have something that's um, a loop that's kind of, um, let's say three millimeters by three millimeters. It can be smaller, but... Um, so you can specify your material at a three at a millimeter um, level in some sense, um, which makes it incredibly powerful. In in also in terms of the materials that can be used and um, and so on. Um, so I I see a lot of uh, I see a lot of potential there because of that. Um, and then added to that is the fact that you can have this type of functional integration. So you can use them for. Um, you, you can integrate sensors, you could integrate other, uh, other materials that can help you out. Um, and this is being done a lot, of course, um, in, in, in terms of wearables, in terms of the fashion industry. So we, you can draw, you can see a lot of that happening there. Um, but all of those things can also be then translated to um, the construction world. So if you'd say, okay, we can integrate sensors so we can monitor our structures, then we get to a um, to another um, to another place. Um, we can integrate other functionalities that can be helpful down the line that can help us construct. Um, so that's really the the power of it with the geometry. So with being able to to do this in in very um, in very complex geometries without a lot of um, sewing and gluing and doing all of these things. So it really reduces the amount of labor. It can give um, quite some opportunities in terms of logistics because you can, the same way that you can have this um, grading of the material, what happened with Nit Candela, for example, that you say, okay, um, we, add, um, uh, we add pockets so that we can make these cavities in the concrete um, and they're all different shapes and sizes. Um, normally, when, when we talk about digital fabrication and about mass customization, the, the general idea is, yeah, well, um, a machine, a 3D printer, a CNC router, what, whatever you might think can produce, doesn't care if it produces 500 times the same or 500 times a very different, a different geometry. But then we end up with the problem of labeling and needing to put this in the right place on site and making sure that everything goes where it should be. Uh, whereas... Um, in this case, the, that intelligence was already embedded in the textile because those were pockets um, that had different shapes, that had different sizes, but they were already uh, produced in, the, in that one fabric. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what we inserted inside is all the same element. It's just a balloon. So you didn't need to worry about this logistics on site. So there's a little bit of, uh, of that. Um, Textiles are also used for uh, technical purposes. So there's um, textile reinforcement uh, for concrete, mm -hmm. um, which is actually more similar to a woven textile than anything else, if you would, or, or to a mesh grid. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can combine those two um, technologies, then you'd have 
geometry and reinforcement in the same um, in the same uh, type of um, textile. So there are really quite a few opportunities, um, and this is just maybe thinking about the structural aspects of it. Um, but there are opportunities in thinking of them in terms of acoustics. So adding something to the um, um, to the structure to the because they have this um, play between soft and hard. Then, um, so mm-hmm. if we can uh, design those very specifically, um, and also uh, make sure make sure that they're light um, and use them for different purposes, then that transition between them can uh, can happen quite a lot. Oh my God! You said so many examples. I didn't even like. And, and not all of them. I'm. I'm. I'm just kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that this is why it's so interesting to um to talk about all of this because you are yeah like this is your bubble. This is your world. Like for you, it's you know like your your day to day to think in that way and to talk about it. Um, just to understand so when you say that uh, to integrate for example sensors um, into the structures to monitor what does this mean to monitor like uh like the static or to or the for example or in terms of environmental impact it it can be we can monitor maybe how the structure behaves on the, on the one hand but you could have them to monitor environmental impact um, you could um, have them to set feedback on what is, yeah, that is again on the on the environmental impact. What you could also do is have them in the construction st- stage to monitor if you're hitting the target geometry that you want to have because they're flexible. So um, textiles can be a little bit more difficult to deal with than other materials that we mm-hmm. that we're very used to. So um, you you could have that to help you reach the geometry that uh, that you want, for example. Um, you could have, uh, well, that's less monitoring, but the same type of features to collect things. So you could collect, um, you could collect rainwater in certain, in, in certain ways, uh, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also being done in, in Stuttgart. So they're trying, they're, they're um, doing this in a facade system. So you could use that in a facade system to collect, uh, to collect water, for example. Mm-hmm. So there are, or to filter things. Um, mm-hmm. That's, I kind of stopped there a little bit awkwardly. No, I think like it's it's very cool because for me, the more, um, I mean, the more tangible thing for me would be, okay, sensors in interior design or, uh, you know, have like a knitted wallpaper that, I don't know, or acoustic panels, that sort of stuff, or uh, sensors to um, regulate the lighting uh, so, but it's super interesting that you could do the same thing for the the outer structure. Yeah, the structure, yeah. Um, in terms of machinery, I mean, this is a bit uh, technical now, but there is. Um, do you find that there is restrictions in terms of the machines? Because I mean, the largest are maybe like maybe two meters forty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this large enough? Um, yes, uh, and I don't even work on a, on a two point four machine, but on a one point three machine. So the usual standard, what you what you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to think yes, bigger is better. And while I do 
dream of, okay, you could have a, a machine that is super wide and produces a very, uh, a very wide and big textile. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe 1.3 is a little bit narrow, so it would be nice to have a little bit bigger, but um, there you, you can, you can do quite a lot in, in the end. It is the, it is an architectural scale. We do put things together out of pieces otherwise as well. So you can decide at which, uh, at which level you work, right? We, we do have bricks and they're this size, so we can work with bricks and assemble something. Um, so having, um, a textile that is 1.3 meters and infinitely long, I don't think is a, is such a huge, um, such a huge impediment. Um, of course, having a larger width might help. Um, with getting more geometry or more complexity, because the more the more complexity you bring into your fabric, the more you narrow your um, your working with uh, in that sense. Um, so it can be helpful to have bigger machines, but I I don't see that as the immediate impediment to uh, to applying these uh, uh, to applying these things. Um, mm-hmm. It's more. I would say it's more on the on the control side, so on being able to hit your target geometries. It's more on the design of the the, the fabric side and that communication with the machine. So having that openness, um, because in architecture or in structures, it's not that people work with textiles. And even when we're always work, even where we do have specialists that work with textiles, it's not necessarily the case that they specifically know how to program a knitting machine. Um, so you kind of need to bring those closer so that it becomes a more accessible technology. And I think that is maybe a little bit more important in the beginning than having a bigger, than having a bigger machine. <laughs> sure, bigger is better. I'm not going to say no to bigger, but this <laughs> is but it's not the first thing I would ask for, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Um, and then I imagine that you try out things in like models, like smaller models before you go into like a one by one. Yeah, but not in the, not in the, um, there is a lot of, uh, that is also part of it. There is a lot of testing, of course. Um, so um, being able to do that with less testing would be even nicer. Um, but um, there is a difference between the usual architectural model and what uh, what uh, I do in that sense, um, because it is I, I would say it's not a model but it's a prototype. So you do have to work in uh, in a one to one scale, but mm-hmm. always working with um, parts of the structure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's a scaled version or it's a piece of it, but it's always a one to one scale in that sense. Um, because otherwise it doesn't translate. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, so from the, so after Nit Candela, you started to work at uh, the university, at the Technical University at, in Delft? Mm-hmm. I, I stayed actually for, for a little bit longer in, uh, in ETH and I did my postdoc there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yes, last year I started as a, a tenure tracker, so an assistant professor in PU Delft in the Faculty of Civil Engineering. Um, so I, I, I switched sides. I'm a, I'm a traitor. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. I actually enjoy it very much. Um, 
but uh, also because in Delft there is a there is a lot of communication between architecture and and civil engineering. So there's a lot of um, there are a lot of avenues there, and I think they're very deliberately also making sure that um, that there are bridges between the two faculties by employing people that are at this uh, at this interface. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're doing a good job of that. Um, so I started here, and I'm I'm focusing on teaching well uh, parametric engineering so basically computational design for how we um for engineering in 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 terms of parametrics then and and form finding in these kind of structures and uh, digital fabrication and of course there's a, a heavy component of textiles and knitting in that sense then um could they also have a knitting machine in Delft? we got a knitting machine this summer so, <laughs> I'm I'm very happy about that. So we um, the story repeats itself. We got the machine in summer. Uh, it was part of the okay. I, I need this machine. So a little bit of a um, we got it in June, and then um, this time I wasn't asked. I just asked myself, hey, can we can we do this by September? And we did another project again, still with BRG because it's a it's a project that I started when I was there, and then. Um, continued um, here, um, so uh, it's a it's a lot of fun so far. Um, trying to set it up here, uh, working with some nice students, and getting to do uh, to continue that research. I feel like the architecture world is working faster than the fashion world because um, wow, no, in, a- terms of, in terms of institutions and knitting machines, it's always a bit like. You know, they are very, yeah, I feel like they're a bit slow and um, some, also sometimes they just don't have the means to invest in newer machinery. Uh, but yeah, in my observation, also the students, they are in the in the rare cases, they can work themselves on the machines. It's always like by someone. So they don't really, you know, uh, they they don't really learn. Uh, mm-hmm. for themselves which is a bit uh, sad but yeah it's uh good news that the architecture world there well, they're into it i think I, I i i dare to say i'm lucky because i went to civil engineering and they wanted to look to to do this i don't know if the uh, yeah maybe the architects would have done the architecture faculty would have done it too i don't know mm-hmm. but, um because it's um uh, but um it, i I don't know if the if uh, it moves faster than the fashion world, so that I cannot say anything about because I always have the impression that we're incredibly slow. Um, but it's more mostly because of adoption into industry then. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, I wanted to pick up on what on what you said with the with the fact that there's always that they never get to use it themselves somehow, um, because a crucial part of of what made Nitkandela possible or what makes everything that I do possible is that I, I'm, I work with it myself. Um, there's a, and that's not to say that, um, that there's not, there's a huge body of knowledge in, in, um, in the fashion industry and in the technicians that run these machines that I can never catch up to. Right. Because I, I this is, this is, um, this is clear, but having the direct access to the machine, knowing exactly how it how it works and driving it myself means that you uh, push beyond what's possible with it. Because very often we uh, we then otherwise 
um, have it there a little bit pristine. We stay into, okay, this is what we can do. This is what you can do. Um, what is known, what can be, can be done with it. And that's usually what happens when you have a, um, um, this interface of somebody that needs to be in between and not so much experimenting that can bring it to the edge of, well, we might break something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I guess having that direct access of knowing, okay, it's it's just me and I'm going to do it and I might break something. Um, and then having that good relationship with the manufacturer of the machine that says, okay, you know, we'll support you. You're, <laughs> you might break things and we'll, and they're going to be there to say yes. Uh, and now we're going to help you fix it. Or now mm -hmm. we're going to help you do what you want to do is quite important. And I think that that's exactly the bridge that I was talking about earlier that's missing, that if we don't get this, um, this there, it's not going to, it's not going to work. So that's, that's the first thing that I would prefer to having a bigger machine. And to be realistic, we can never expect that you'll have architects that know how to use knitting machines or how knitting works. Uh, or or construction companies that know how to do that very specifically. So we need to get that that bridge that communication bridge a lot better, so that they don't have to, but have access to that uh, to that machine type of situation. Amen. <laughs> no, I totally see it the same way because if you can't do anything on your own and just like experiment. Uh, I feel like sometimes you also have like a happy accident and you're like, oh, this is not what I wanted, but it but looks it, cool. Yes. Or, or it can do this. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit, um, <clears throat> it's uh, because it's not painting by numbers. That's not what it, that's not what it yeah. is. I mean, that's what it can be sometimes. But if you want to try something out, especially shapes and all that kind of things, it doesn't, uh, it just doesn't apply. So I totally agree with you. And I like the happy accident that many things happen because of happy accidents. I'm a proponent of happy accidents. Yeah, it's very fun. <laughs> many discoveries and, and that being said in, in, in the scientific world, many discoveries that we, uh, that we that are very useful to us today are happy accidents. So we need yeah. to have the, the happy accidents as part as part of it. So I I, I like that. I, I think we should uh, encourage more happy accidents. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying too. I don't know how many sad accidents it takes before you have a happy one, but <laughs> <laughs> a few, but they make them all the better. Yes. <laughs> um, And so the transition from like one, the Knit Candela project to the new project, it's called Knit Nervy. Yeah. What is it all about? Okay, so uh, Knit Nervy is at the Maxi Museum in Rome. So we stayed in the museum realm, uh, but um, it's, and it's an iteration on the, on the fabric formwork um, side of things somehow, but um It is really taking a step forward in a few. So it's you can tell by the name that we're doing all of the the structural engineers or or nice uh, <laughs> or, or nice architects in in that sense. But uh, beyond that, um, it's uh, it's trying to bring to to take let's say the the this type of technique a step further, but also a little bit closer to what um, to what industry might recognize as something that that can be useful so in the knit nervy for example it, we're looking again at, a, at a, a ribbed structure but this time you can see the ribs 
um, very um, very close to the Palazzetto dello Sport. So it's um, it's this dome that Nervi uh, built in the in the fifties sixties mm-hmm. uh, in Rome, and it's really five hundred meters from where the from where the museum is, or from where the structure is. And it's really looking at this type of uh, diagrid structure and how you could do that. Um, what we usually don't um, associate with textiles are our hard edges um, uh, and 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 shapes, so triangular squares and so on. We usually associate uh, things that are a little bit more uh, fluid or or blobby. So in this case, it's showing also a piece of geometry control in terms of saying, okay, we have triangular sections; they are in a very precise diagrid. Um, <clears throat> it's also looking at um, how you could incorporate reinforcement in the structure. Mm-hmm. Because um, indeed, if we use, um, um, if we design in a way that is smart with, with uh, structural performance and knowing where the forces flow and on compression only structures, we can indeed have less material. Um, so be more um, efficient in terms of material. But it's not necessary. But but industry doesn't necessarily always um, always say, yeah, okay, then we're going to go unreinforced from now on, right? So the, it's very common to have reinforcement in that sense, um, and for good reason. So it's not that we don't need it. There are there are moments in which we need it, but we need to be a lot smarter about how we do it. So in this case, it's looking at how you could have reinforcement in the structure, um, and. Um, very importantly, it's looking at how we can reduce even more um, the scaffolding or the the um, waste and support that is needed in in making uh, in making this form work. So, if in Nitcandela, which was already a lot better than than the the status of the industry in, in terms of how little waste you'd have for the formwork, you still have this external frame that's made out of timber or this custom um, steel uh, parts that need to be uh, that need to be laid out. And in this case, um, the rebarcade the rebarcage from the inside, which is actually a bending active structure. Um, is also the one that's carrying the. Uh, it's also the one that's the support structure during construction for the for the fabric formwork, and the only supports that it needs are some props on the on the outer ring till it would be cast uh, normally. And those props are standard industry props, so they're the ones that you use in scaffolding and in uh, everywhere. So once you'd cast the structure, you can take these away and just bring them back to the company and have them be used somewhere else. Um, so in that case, it it's really zero waste, right? The the structure um, during construction has starts having an active role in the in the structure in the end. Um, it's a lot bigger, though it might not look bigger in the photos. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's nine meters in diameter, and Nitcandela was uh, four meters in diameter. So this is really um, going a little. It's it's a it's a lot bigger structure. It's just that the museum is huge, so it looks like a <laughs> tiny structure in front of it. Um, but it's big, uh, and I think when we when we stood there uh, building, it was like, oh wow, it, it's big. <laughs> so this is the this is part of it. Um, and um, in doing that, so that there's, I think that it's about 120 square meters of textile that went on it. Um, and in Nitcandela, it's about 50 square meters. So that's already, you know, two and a half times more, uh, meaning that it 
needed also another that that's a little bit less visible than the the, the structural part of things, but it needed again this this production pipeline to be uh, further developed so that it can um, so that we can do this um, just as fast or, or fast enough. But not only that, what it has is it has um, on the um, on the surfaces in between. So you'll see a diagrid and at the intersect at all of the um, surfaces in between. Um, they now have a very, um, let's say, porous um, looking uh, looking texture. Uh, it's it, it's just a, a um, it's a it's a relatively simple texture in terms of what fashion uh, or technique in terms of what the fashion industry would would recognize because there's they're just transfers to make little uh, piquet uh, holes, but um, the um, but they are controlled very specifically, so there's a global pattern over the entire the entire um, um, pavilion that is um, very specifically controlled for each one of them. So it's very differentiated, and it shows this um, this material, uh, this functional grading that can be added to it. Um, but in having that pipeline of saying, okay, we're going to generate patterns for a hundred and 20 square meters so that the so that the machine can handle them and have a very specific uh, at the loop level very uh, very differentiated uh, pattern for all of those uh, 120 square meters takes some computational development in in that pipeline mm -hmm. it's, um, uh, one one of the other not physically visible <laughs> powerful parts about it I mean it looks super different it looks way more minimalistic I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's super interesting to hear like what goes into it. And I'm like wondering like, oh, how did you, because it looks like it's one piece, but it's not one piece. No. It's... <laughs> so um, how many pieces did you knit for this? And is it, um, is it uh, panels that were then assembled in this like structure? Mm -hmm. Um, so the 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 way the structure goes is kind of as a as a radial uh, radial slices around uh, around the um, around the the structure. So you have the diagrid um, yes. that fans out. So you take one of the diagrid directions and it makes these um, mm -hmm. um, slices. So you're kind of twisting around it in one uh, in one direction. So it's kind of like a donut, and then kind the of donut like a donut, is yes, covered with panels. With, yes, and the panels direction. are twenty-four, so there are twenty-four slices. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. That's uh, in that direction. That's not, not too many. It's not too many, but there are the ribs as well. And originally, yeah. the ribs were um, going to be part of the um, the uh, the slices. So. Um, they are so they were going to be part uh, of the slices in one piece um because we got the machine a little bit too late <laughs> mm -hmm. this um this not too late it wasn't too late but just because of the timing of yeah. <laughs> things they had to be then made as a different uh, as different um pieces themselves mm -hmm. uh, for assembly purposes as well because it made it easier to uh, to assemble it that way so in the end their um the ribs are also separate but in this case, all of the parts are not stitched together. So mm -hmm. we have uh, little um, little splines, um, steel um, 
threaded rod splines at the edges of each one of these uh, pieces. And from the rebar cage, there are special spacers or holders that those uh, bars can be uh, can be clipped onto. So you basically have the oh, I don't know how to do it in the <laughs> you basically have two pieces with a with a spline here and a spline there and a holder that you clip those two splines together. Um, so everything is also easily demountable. So there's no stitching. There's no. It's just taking parts and clipping them in place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting it to be uh, closed and here and there some zip ties. And to translate this into the architecture world, construction world, that is a dinosaur, how could they now mm-hmm. take this kind of technique and put it into a, a project? What kind of project could that be? Um, I think... Um, I think it's not unreasonable to to do it because it's not com- it's not completely different and it's not completely difficult to uh, to uh, do this. Sorry, <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> the puppy checking on the dog makes <laughs> 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 a little bit of noise, but um, um, <clears throat> it's not completely uh, unreasonable to think about. It's just a little bit of a different way of working with it. So you need you're working with softer materials. You need to pay attention a little bit more. Um, it, it's uh, it's just a, a slightly different way of uh, thinking about it when assembling it um, and being softer and and more patient with it in a in a different. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what it could be applied to. Um, is something that, for example, so this comes a little bit closer. It looks a little bit more minimalist, even though it has the doubly curved geometry. You could start seeing it as a as a section of beams and uh, in two directions. So you could have it for any span that n- needs to have beams in two directions. For example, mm-hmm. um, I would say you could um, use it for um, for some floors. Um, you could use it for some um, facade panels as well. Um, you could, uh, what we've done before is, um, together with, um, collaborators from ETH, because I'm still there, um, uh, with, uh, Minuli, he's from, um, from, uh, from civil engineering there. He was doing his PhD. We looked at how you can integrate reinforcement, but in, um, pretty normal looking beams. So in I beams or in, in square cross sections so that you see how you could, uh, how you could use this type of technique for something that's a little bit more recognizable. So I can mm-hmm. see it being applied to that. The idea is indeed to apply it to a little bit more um, in cases where you have complex geometry and you don't, you need to, um, to be able to do that. It is a good question though, because it's a little bit, um, uh, difficult to convince an industry that the way that they've done things so far um, doesn't always pan out (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and to say, yeah, you know, um, we're not used to seeing something that is doubly curved or that is different. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're used to seeing the box. We're used to having straight walls here and there. But if you just introduce a little bit of geometry, you'll, you'll be able to save a lot of material. And we've gotten in in the area where we start needing to do that now um and um and also saying yeah okay 
there are still other questions. There are questions of, yeah, okay, how do you do that with volume? How do you do that with, um, because when you see the structures, you're like, yeah, okay, that's crazy geometries and crazy volumes. And it's not something that I can think of stacked in a building. Um, but what I'm trying to go towards is saying, okay, you can take a step back and you can apply them in in elements, uh, in different elements of the building that need a particular type of complexity. And when that complexity comes into play, um, you you need to have a, a better way to build it. I mean, just like by looking at the shape and like thinking about, because um, if I don't think in terms of uh, like a building itself, but um, it the way it is now, it does, it definitely is some type of sunscreen as well at the same time. Yeah. So I either see it because um, how long did it take to 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 build the building itself, the setting up? So we did uh, we did it in two uh, two parts. Uh, in June we built the the first part of it, so the 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 inner structure, the bending active grid shell. Um, and that took about 10 days to to build up. And then it took me two weeks to uh, to uh, to put the textile on, but that two and a half almost, but that was um, with two people to begin with, so me and my PhD student. and then um, she had to for 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 logistical reasons, she had to be sent away to do to take care of something else. Uh, and then I was alone for about a week and a half. So mm -hmm. if you say two, <laughs> Two women on a scaffold. Uh, yeah. Well, one and a half because over the two weeks, one and a half. Mm -hmm. um, it takes two weeks. I don't think it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, no. So you could definitely shorten that as well. But for example, I could see that, you know, like a, a, a fair, like as a mm -hmm. pop-up of some sort, but also maybe like a rooftop. Yeah, sure. That is like super permanent because it's like all summer long, depending on the country. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, because I feel like the sunscreen the, is always the yeah. kind of a problem that you have these like weird yeah, umbrellas true. everywhere. So yeah, you should put it on top of a, you should put it on a rooftop. <laughs> on a rooftop. Yes, I, I, I will. Try. Well, look, we, we need to disassemble it in, uh, in April. And the nice thing about it now, because we're not casting it with in concrete mm -hmm. uh, this time, we're not casting it in concrete for two reasons. One, because it's 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 a temporary structure, so we were like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, that's not. We're trying to make a point about sustainability, and then you're going to cast this thing uh, mm -hmm. temporarily, and then it needs to be broken down. Mm -hmm. um, and we've proven already that it can be done, so it it's all right. Uh, but also it can be disassembled now. So we're thinking of maybe seeing if we reassemble it somewhere else. Maybe there's a nice rooftop. <laughs> I mean, now, yeah, because I forgot about the casting, but yeah, you could like partially cast it. So then when it starts to rain, you can still be on the rooftop. Exactly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I do live in a very rainy climate now, though the sun is starting to shine. Yeah, I imagine, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And windy as well. Yes, and windy as well. <laughs> um, to go back a bit, um, you, um, you're from Romania. And then what was a bit like your upbringing or also your trajectory towards architecture? Was there any, at some point, any indication that you would 
that you were interested in textiles <laughs> as well. I, I wanted to I wanted to uh, to to make a, a funny joke, but um, I, I guess so because I I used to. Um, so my I, I do come from Romania. My my family is all engineers. Uh, so my grandparents also, and my parents. Um, so I used to go on little. I, I guess there was a sign that I'd go towards concrete, and I didn't even know it. Uh, but uh, for, uh, they they work with um, hydrotechnical engineering, so w- serious engineering, not mm-hmm. <laughs> with dams and things like this. Mm-hmm. So when I was uh, little, we used to go on, um, and they're uh, they're also partly in academia. So when I was um, uh, little, we used to go to um, to some sites where you have dams. So there was all about how you construct a dam. And sometimes I think there was a construction site around the dam. So there was a lot of building this with concrete. And there's a lot of concrete involved in that. So I just remember this. And I used to collect pebbles from the from the from the concrete uh, um, um, aggregates because I wanted to. But um, so it comes it comes from there a little bit. Um, I do remember saying that I want to do architecture and my grandpa going, no, she'll change her mind. Um, I guess some 20 years later or more, uh, he was right <laughs> because I'm no longer in the architecture department. But <laughs> <laughs> and you are out of your mind. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm joking. I went back to the roots. Um, so so that was it. Then I, um, I, I did my bachelor's and my master's in TU Delft. So I uh, I did that uh, here in the Netherlands. Then mm-hmm. uh, I worked for um, for three years uh, in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and then I moved to Switzerland for the PhD and um, and and postdoc. And now I'm back. So that's kind of the um, the journey. Um, I can't pinpoint an exact moment where I said, "Ah, okay, I'm going to be an architect." I think it's somehow kind of um, kind of happened in between, and it makes sense with uh, the environment that I was in as as a child as well. Being my family have being all engineers, so it was just kind of okay. This is what I know and see in a different way. Okay, it's not architecture, but it it was not something that's that was foreign somehow. Um, so concrete and construction. Yeah, I guess it's in I guess it's in the DNA. Something. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> and, and what point did you did the knitting come about? Was it some like did it come about through the studies or who somebody no, who introduced the, you? The, the knitting came about during the PhD. Um, I did not. I I still cannot hand knit, so I'm not. Uh, <laughs> this is not, uh, well, I can if I really want to, I guess. But yeah. I mean. <laughs> Um, so I wasn't um, I wasn't familiar with that, but um, the the link that I see, and I'm going to take a big a bigger step. I, I see the uh, between my bachelor's and my master's, I took a year a, a year off, and I worked on a um, uh, on a solar car project here, uh, which had nothing to do with architecture, obviously, but. Um, it had everything to do with working in a multidisciplinary team, and it had everything to do with how do you design and build something. Um, Mm. And even though um, you might imagine, as you might imagine, it's not that I was uh, on the very technical side of these things. So I was, I was not, you, you learn a lot from it. Um, And we were doing that building molds for the car, um, doing, 
and working with textiles. So this is where I'm uh, I'm bringing the textile and not knitted textiles and not fabricating their own textiles, but um, making this out of woven carbon fiber mats mm-hmm. to build to build a structure is working with uh, with textiles with composites in that in that sense. And um, this was not very common in architecture or in our in our schooling at all, let's say. Um, and this fascinated me in in terms of what you could do with lightness and and that question of it needs to be light, it needs to be efficient, it needs to, be, and we need to bring this uh, back to architecture somehow in my mm-hmm. mind because that's where it came from. So when I went and started the PhD, it was about formworks. So it was meant to be about how we do things with digital technologies and formworks, but it didn't have something to do with textiles necessarily. And I had kind of brought this baggage of I want I secretly want to work with composites with me. <laughs> um, so um, when I when I was looking into how to approach the question, other than the fact that sure at the at the BRG there was this fabric formwork project, but with woven textiles, I started really looking into into how you make textiles. Uh, but from a technical, uh, from the technical textiles po- point of view, so how they make things for aerospace engineering or for mm. automobiles and so on, and you find knitting in there as well. And yes. what really, um, what really it attracted to me to it was that you find knitting, and it's always under a well, it's not good enough for this because we don't understand it well enough. It's not great enough because it's not as strong, but not as strong for automotives or or aerospace for the moment. But it had all these advantages that the construction industry could could use, and it need didn't need the space grade uh, strength, mm-hmm. of the space grade material in the same, <laughs> in the same way. So I was like, okay, maybe this is this is a way to go. So it really just um, just happened out of a out of a previous fascination and a, and a, and kind of being busy with the literature review in in some sense. Ah, yeah, no, that was for me, that was the missing piece to understand, like. (laughs) How did you end up in textiles? Yes. And I I can ask myself the same question like this. Uh, It was really like this. And then I got a a hand knitting machine um, to try things out and and learned how how to knit, basically, and how these machines work. Um, then I went to um, Dresden because they have uh, at the uh, a big institute there, the Institute of Textile Machinery and Technical Textiles, and mm-hmm. they're at the mechanical engineering. So they work on machines and they work on the textiles and the machines. And it's again automotives and 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 so on. Um, and I went there. They hosted me for ten days, I think, to because they had industrial machines and they, mm-hmm. they let they showed me how to use them. Um, so there was a very nice technician there that um, that said, okay, here's a Shima Seiki, here's how it works, let's go. And I did some experiments. I came back with those experiments and um, and that w- started to be convincing that, okay, th- this is a way to go. And then we got our own machine. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh my God, you're like trailblazing. <laughs> trailblazing the knitting department. Uh, the- architecture department with the knitting machine that's pretty cool so what is to come for you what are you looking forward to what are we gonna see Oof, that's a tough question because we just finished the other one and I'm like, I don't want to do anything for a while now. No, you're like, (laughs) you're in resting phase. I mean, uh, what are we going to see? Nothing, absolutely nothing. No, (laughs) that was it. (laughs) 
that's not true. Um, I'm, I would really like to, um, so, so other than the resting part of things, I'm building up things in, in Delft. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work on that side on, on getting those things, uh, the ball rolling here. Um, I'm really looking forward to having some sort of structure that is real that is implemented and that it's in a per, that's in a bit of a permanent uh, more permanent situation and i would really like that to be a bridge so mm. <laughs> um, you did because yeah i saw that wasn't that one of your earlier experiments yes. where you're like standing on it yes so there was one of the first ones was this bridge and now together with um, Katrin Dölfer and Norman Hack, they're, uh, they're former colleagues from the NCCR, but they're in Munich and Braunschweig. We um, did another iteration that's bigger, so it's five meters uh, longer, but still is a prototype um, in a more automated way. So that where they uh, there's um, spraying with a uh, spraying of the concrete with a robot and uh, and so on. Um, and I think there's a good opportunity to take that and scale it up and make it into a, into a real project. So we're, I'm trying to look into this. So if I'm very short term, I'd, I'd like to see a real bridge, but <laughs> this is, yeah. the... I mean, I feel like maybe with the Netherlands, you're not so far off with, I uh... mean, there's a lot of water and it, it needs a lot of getting over it. Yeah. <laughs> In the form of a bridge. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. That sounds, yeah. I'm looking forward to it too. <laughs> So and and other than that, uh, yeah, there are a lot of uh, smaller projects on um, that I'm looking at with students on circularity, um, not only with textiles but on uh, on that for construction, and then um, also looking at some adaptability and how textiles and adapt uh, and adaptive systems can be uh, can be put together for uh, facade systems or something else. So where can we? Where can you see all of this? <laughs> Um, I'd, I'd point you to my website. I'd, not all of it, but you'll find a lot of it. Um, so that's madpope.com. Um, it's, it's, I'll try to update it properly, but, um, I think that's the, 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 probably at the moment, the best place to find the information for it. I'll put everything in the episode notes so people can okay. take it in. <laughs> all right. I can send you, I can send you some links and that's a good, uh, good moment for me to like update you. <laughs> yeah 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 that's a motivation to put it there well thank you so much it's been such a pleasure okay. honestly yes. i'm looking forward yes. to seeing more um and yeah good luck with the bridge and all the projects thank you very much and thank you for having me it was really had a very nice conversation i enjoyed it Likewise. to be honest like i was so looking forward to this moment i was like yes <laughs> I hope you enjoyed our episode today. Stay tuned and I'll catch you next time with another episode of That's My Niche.